The button has officially been pushed. and friends and all you happy listeners out there. I am G Long, and this is the Long in the Boot podcast. And sitting across the way from me over there is Deb. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am doing as well as I usually am. Well, good deal. Had some technical difficulties, but we got those cleared up. And if you want to reach me again, it's longintheboot at gmail.com. Go to the website which is tripdub.longintheboot.com. And the phone number, as always, 337-502-9011. Leave a message if there's something you'd like to talk about or would like to hear about. Hey, man, our ears are always open. Mm. So you can be a part of the show. You just got to let me know. All right. In fact, if you got a business and you want to like push it, your own little business there, you know, give me a call. We could, we could, Maybe even do an interview or whatever yeah, you'd like to do. Yeah, we, we like to have people in the studio. Oh, I do. I like to have people in the studio because then I, uh, well, truth be told, I, I like to fire spitballs at them. What? Like no, that's not true. Throw, I, oh, okay. I made that up. I, I didn't know if you meant metaphorically I was, te- speaking I was testing or, Bella, but clearly she's not listening. No, Bella's asleep. We took so long uh, getting the uh, <laughs> getting the technical, <laughs> getting the technical worked out. issues worked out this afternoon. Man, we I'm are starting way late uh, for, for our Well, it's purposes. a Monday. I mean, that's how late we are. It is. We're it's a, a day Monday. late and several hours off. But and, uh, here we are. Here we are. Summertime, and, I guess it's. Well, I got, we got the, the raincoat off of uh, Deb. Oh yeah, yeah. I did. The, I, I did get all that. That was my uh, was my ridiculous. rain gear from when I worked at uh, American Eagle, and uh, you know that was the rain slicker and overalls that you wore if you had to go out and de-ice a plane, which happens all <laughs> the time in Louisiana. Yeah, you got to de-ice the planes constantly. That, here. that is. I did accidentally put in a code one night when I was working by myself, and um, the Houston people called me and said, uh, "Lake Charles is uh, is there really ice on your runway?" <laughs> uh, yep. No. No, there yep. was no ice. It was just operator. I spilled error. my drink, and there is ice on the runway. Oh, boo! Well, it can happen. I did not drink at work. I took that job very seriously. So, what kind of things are going on in the old boot this week? Got a well, couple, a couple few things that I yeah. thought were really interesting. Uh, oh, first, you're just jumping into it. Yeah, we're jumping in. Well, I was going to start like really local oh. and then move out. Some. Oh, well, you please. Oh, okay. Because I have a process. Please. Okay. So uh, local, really close, you know, our listeners. Oh, our listeners. Yeah. I'm seeing them do great things. They're, you people. She's talking about yeah, you people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're out there, like, buying houses. They're moving what? into apartments. Uh, no, they were mere children just moments ago. Uh, yeah, but they're having babies. They're uh, adopting pets, and we want to really thank you guys for that. Uh, pet Rescue Pitbull. Yeah, I, yeah, I saw, saw that. I saw, saw that. somebody just, um, and it, a Pitbull with the biggest smile I've ever seen. He's just a happy goodness. puppy. Yes, he was. He's a good puppy. Well, of course he is. He's got a He's got yeah. a. He's family. got a family. He's yeah, adopted. He's got a family. Or she, I don't know. Was it he or she? Did you 
I don't recall. Shame on us. Oh, I know, I know. I was scrolling. just the same though. Beautiful, beautiful. Yes, dog. yes, and and congratulations to the new family. And, and if you've had a human child, well, congratulations to <laughs> yes, you too. Yes, uh, we got several of those going on. Um, we have. Uh, I I saw some kitten adoptions. I, one family wow. in particular who I think the feline community happens to know that they are you know soft touches. The and, process of getting a kitten adopted. In the country, is usually pretty easy. You just put out food. Yeah, apparently it happens that way in Houston. I think they just show up. And then they adopt you. Yes, <laughs> they adopt you, absolutely. <laughs> so works. we got all those things happening locally. Uh, also locally, from what I'm, I'm reading, we've got some uh, ongoing arguments about whether or not the country needs to... Uh, grow. <laughs> grow. No. <laughs> apparently the answer is no. <laughs> no. The uh, alcohol proposition that was being uh, floated no. down there in Ward no. 4, I think it was, that was a big no. no. Uh, apparently not enough people signed. Some people said that the petition was constantly hidden yeah, at one of the places. Was, they were told it was full. And, now, I, and, and this is just this a is superficial hearsay, reading of hundreds of comments. Could be total BS. Don't know for sure. No, I'm just telling you the stuff I picked up as but I read. But I, I know how it is around here. The people who are going to be against alcohol, the vast majority, they're not going to say anything. They're just not going to support it. They're just not going to support it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well. We, and then we have the argument about whether or not we should have businesses moving into this area. Some people are very. Very adamant that we're very not Very adamant that do we shouldn't that. change we and we should grow. stay the 1950s. It should not move out of the 1950s. We need to keep our gravel roads and like it. Yep, yep. Because if you that's right. Wait, what was the the line of thinking? Oh, if, if you, you build get, if you build a blacktop road, that invites the criminal element. Yes, apparently. thieves are going to come from Lake Charles. Well, it's a fact of life that if you live on a gravel road, I don't care where it is, your house will never ever be broken into. Oh, well, it's, it's proven. <laughs> All right, so enough of the uh, the the really local stuff. Local, local. Yeah, uh, the heel of the boot. The heel of the boot. That's the excitement. That's, that's what about happening. the boot itself? What about the boot? Well, oh, oh. The big well, apparently, one today. Apparently, today. Conor McGregor in the meme I saw is what? wearing a Wait a minute. Boot. This is, hang on, before that, <laughs> this is just coming over the wire. Former Louisiana Governor Edwin Edwards oh. is dead. Yes, the godfather of Louisiana has passed on. And in two weeks when we do another podcast, I'll do that joke, but say he's still dead. Oh, <laughs> I see. Anyway, yes, and former Governor to- Edwin Edwards is is no more. He has ceased to be. Yes, but not in the annals of Louisiana history. He has shuffled off this mortal coil. Oh, look at you quoting all literature and stuff. He has gone to meet the angels. All right. All right. Well, that that's the... He has flown this coop. No, no. We're going to no. stop that. Okay. Yeah, we're going to stop there. But we do He's have some, we do have some positive news for Louisiana. It's unusual that Louisiana makes the news for good things, but... This is but, not, not only good. This is great. This is great. We have two really good stories, actually. You know, everybody's probably already seen the young lady, Azalea. Uh, Zalia? Zalia Avant-Garde. Yes, yes. And she is unusual and exceptional in her art. Man, her art, her spelling, her everything. Her balance, her focus, her My dribbling, Lord. her juggling. <laughs> she is She's, a multi-talented lady. She is going to go far and yes. be extremely successful, no question about it. From Harvey, Louisiana. She's The first Louisianian ever to win the spelling bee. Yes, yes, that is very exciting. And if you read in the news that she's from New Orleans, no, no. She is from Harvey. Harvey, yeah. New Orleans gets all their all their stories. That's fine. I thought it was but... pronounced Harvey. Mm, only, only 
If you're uh, me. Yeah. Okay. okay. So we got, we got a, a good uh, ambassador for the state there. Absolutely. And, um, and then, you know, I, I got to say this Okay. And, and our listeners may not know who this was. But I, I could stop you if I really wanted to. I have a button, but I'm going to. And we usually like the button pushed. I'm going to. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Stop it. What? Nothing. Ed Asner. He's not dead, is he? That I don't know, but I don't think so. I, Maybe. I, I watched a clip today, and I hadn't seen him in quite a while. But do you think Dana White is like morphing into Ed Asner? Wait, Dana White? Yeah, Dana the, White, UFC, UFC guy. Yeah. Does he look like Ed Asner? He, he, yeah, he does huh. to me. He's kind of. Sw- that means he's going to look like Santa Claus, then, right? Because Ed Asner it, was Santa Claus in a movie. Yeah, I guess anything's possible. An elf, I think. And, I, and if you don't know who Ed Asner is, then maybe 1980s Ed Asner is probably 80s, 90s that I'm looking. Well, at. you can find clips of him in YouTube from the 80s and 90s when he was an angry, angry socialist. Mm. Well, okay, <laughs> Dana White. Anyway, so he's there we a, go. He's a capitalist, the, and this is me, me on my way to the story about the other. Good Louisiana uh, boy story. Man. Man. Yeah. Well, he's a boy to me because, you know, I'm he's old. younger. <laughs> he's younger he, than he, me. He could so, be your son. So uh, Dustin Poyer from uh, Lafayette. Yep. yep. And, and I think he was an unwitting ambassador for Louisiana because he just held it together in the face of Conor McGregor's bullshit. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, con- yeah. A, you may like Conor McGregor, and if you do, well, that's fine. But but, but his little his he's little, a uh, he's a doofus, no, a douchebag. Let's say it that way. His post, yeah. and I know right now somebody's going, he could kick your butt. Yep, yeah, he probably sure could. could. Well, not till he gets that boot off of his foot. Well, he's got to, he's got he's got a gauntlet first. <laughs> that was the best part. Was the was the meme this morning? Conor yep. McGregor with a little Southwest with a little Louisiana boot on his foot. Nice he's wearing the boot now. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, broke his leg. Uh, he was still talking trash too. There's clips of him on the ground threatening to kill. Yeah, yeah. Threatening to kill the guy and his wife he, in their sleep. In their sleep. And that's brave. Really? That's how you're going to go about doing that? <laughs> he said. Uh, he said he, that Conor McGregor just reeks of insecurity and that uh, the height of bravery. Yeah. I'll kill you in your sleep. Conor McGregor <laughs> says, "I don't give a bollocks. It's not over. I'll go after him outside, like uh, not in the ring. What are you going to wait outside? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. It's merely a flesh wound." Anyway, Come back or gnaw your kneecaps off. I, I thought our I thought our Lafayette boy was uh was very um nice classy. Yeah, he said he he said he prays before every fight and just prays that both sides go home safe because he knows what you're there to do. You're there to punish yeah, the other person. And and you could get a broken leg, a broken neck. Yeah, you yeah. could get a broken leg. Just broken ask bucks. Connor McGregor. <laughs> Anyhow, so so uh, two shout outs for uh, Louisiana in the news for good things. Well, the doctor saw Connor and said, you know, very simply, ah, have a Guinness and go home. You'll be fine in the Marine. <laughs> wow. All right. Um, so that was local and then a little uh, a little further out into the uh, state. Now, I guess we're going on to our topic of the day. Weather. Weather. Weather or not. Uh, Actually, it's not just weather. It's no. how weather is altered historic events yeah or caused them in some cases well weather is the great equalizer yeah weather's the 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 weather's the one part of these giant historical events that can't really be controlled exactly not yet you know and we've been talking about language and the control that that language has you know and throughout history how we've altered that in order to control people but but weather is just a and we had a plethora of events we that we could have picked from and we picked 
uh, some of the ones that we thought were, you know, interesting yeah, and, and might might be interesting to you. Some of them you probably already know about. Maybe. Or have at least heard something about. Hopefully you had a good history teacher. Oh, uh, God, I don't know. The kids around here had this guy. He was so <laughs> there, full of himself. There have been some good history teachers throughout history. <laughs> um, you know, Mark Twain in a, at the beginning of one of his books said, this book is going to contain no weather. We're not going to talk about the weather because that's what people rely on when there's nothing else to talk about. Well, at one time, that was the most talked about subject pretty much all the time because well, people's I, lives completely depended upon the weather. I, I feel like well, Especially when we case. were an agricultural I think you know, that's still the case. Absolutely. Less so, though. I mean, I don't know. I get up each morning. One of the first places I go is to look at the weather. What there's a big I difference, though, know? between God, I hope we get some rain so I don't lose my entire farm. And yeah. gosh, I hope it doesn't rain so I'm so <laughs> so I can go to my party. You know, yeah. There's a major difference. Yeah. So we're going to go back in time. We are going to go back in time. Yep, there it is. There's the Wayback Machine. Oh, you know what? I'm going to find me a sound for the Wayback Machine. Please do that because I, I, I need a sound. Yeah, I don't want to have to do it every time. And we're going to talk about the plague, but it's not the plague you're familiar with. It's not your old friend, the Middle Ages plague. Oh, no, heavens we're going no. farther back than Way that. Way back. We had to set the dials on the Wayback Machine. Way back to the <laughs> middle 500s. That's 500 A.D. Anno Domini, mm-hmm. the year of our Lord. And, and really, the plague lasted at this particular time for about eight years. And it's known in history as the Plague of Justinian. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. The Plague of Justinian. Plague of Justinian. 541. Yeah, 541. That's, that's. I mean, come on. That's way back. That is way back. And it's the bubonic plague. It's the plague we're all familiar with. Uh, you know, the same one that wiped out large swaths of Europe. In this case, it didn't go as far as Western Europe. Well, no, it started in Egypt, went to Constantinople, just followed the trade routes. No different than And you say, well, what does weather have to do with that? Well, funny you should ask, because we have that information. By the way, half the people in the Roman Empire, and at this time, understand that Justinian was a guy, he was in, he was, he was in the Eastern Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at this time was actually split in two. The Western Empire had already collapsed. They didn't get along real well with Justinian and the Eastern Orthodox version of Christianity. Okay. There are two different Christianities. Uh, and Justinian had the dream of reuniting the Roman Empire to bringing it all under one roof again, located the center, not in Rome, but in Constantinople. Mm-hmm. Which would eventually become Istanbul. Istanbul. Sure, and we all know the song. Justinian was doing it. He was actually succeeding. He had already taken much of the Western European Old Roman Empire, and then boom, bubonic plague. Well, but the plague came it, along because of weather. But because of weather. But it could have changed history if Justinian could have succeeded in what he was doing. The Western Roman Empire may not not. have been Catholic. It may have been Eastern Orthodox, and that would have changed history forever. Yeah. Religion would have completely changed. But apparently uh, after a a severe cold period and then a really severe drought in Africa, it ended with nothing but flooding rains. And, well, we know that if you've had a severe drought, all the crops are already dead, and then you get flooding rains. And then what you're going to have— since all the food for larger animals is gone, yep. you're going to have a severe increase in rodents. 
Gerbils and mice. Gerbils, Gerbils and, and mice. mice. Yep. Which are going to carry that nasty little flea that carries that nasty little exactly, <laughs> bacteria. Exactly. And then they're going to hop on some boats and they're going to follow those those trade routes and get off at every port. Right. Because the plant life comes back. Rodents live off the yeah. plant life, but the larger predators that would have eaten the rodents didn't. didn't it takes come back. longer. Yeah, it takes a little longer for them to grow. Rodents breed quickly. <laughs> yes, they do. So, world population about that time, uh, two hundred and ten million. Yeah, about two hundred and ten million for the entire planet. Yeah, for the whole planet, and the estimate for the death toll during that period. 25 to 50 million people. Yeah. So let's go with the, the low end, 25 million. A quarter. Of the, a quarter of the people yeah. dead. That just changes Boom. everything. Boom. No different than it did in the Middle Ages. And I guess we don't really remember that one because we don't have all that cool artwork. Yeah, we didn't get all the darkness. That now, they did, along with the, they did discover, uh, by the way, recently that, uh, and this was recent, I just read about it uh, a couple months ago when they were doing some digs in China and they have found in the bodies of people who were buried at roughly this same time, they have found strains of the Justinian plague hmm. amongst in the DNA of people who were buried in large numbers in in rural China in the 500s. Well, burial burial uh, rites and rituals go out the window when you've got millions dead. Oh, sure, I sure. Mean, I'm, you, I'm, you well, I would died. imagine they burned most of them. Even Justinian got the plague. He didn't die. He survived. But they're... Some that say he he kind of went a little cuckoo, hmm. and then his wife, their just uh, Justinian's wife Theodora, who if you read about her and you could go read about her, she's very interesting. She was a big proponent of get this women's rights. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, she pushed very hard for uh, prostitutes even to have legal businesses and. Uh, she was way ahead of her time. Yeah, imagine, <laughs> imagine. Okay, so so. But anyway, got that. the bad we weather lose. in Africa, yeah, causes kills people in Constantinople, and as far as Rome to the west, and as far as China, yeah. to the east, and it's indiscriminate. And, and it was it, weather in Africa that actually caused that it. started all that. All right, so we've already got the population of the planet whittled down a good bit. Thank you, took weather. Them, took them a couple hundred years to get back to where they were. To the same number. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, to, to what the popula or to what the planet could sustain, I assume. Well, no, what he, they could feed. No, there was there would have been plenty of food. I'm sure they just don't have enough people. I mean, you got you know you, you imagine something that kills, let's say, a third of your population. That's a lot of stuff going going down. All right. So you let's know. let's fast forward in time to to actually one event that I think a lot of people probably do know about and and would have remembered the uh, the Spanish Armada. Yeah, the Spanish Armada is something that in world history you talk about. Yeah. And, and this is one of those good weather ones since. Well, it depends on whose side you were on. Well, according to both sides, God was on their side. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a football game. It's like they say. One of the sides has to be wrong. They can't both be right. Well, unless the unless God's just playing his own game. Unless the hurricane just wipes them both out. You know, but that like, didn't happen. Did it's like it? playing a video game where you just go ahead and pit both armies against each other and watch and see what happens. I, I saw instead of battleship, oh, you sank my battleship. It's called battle shots. Battle shots. Yeah, yeah. And oh, you, and you to, have them on a board? Yeah, and you have to take a shot. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it looked pretty interesting. Battle shots. All right, battle shots. Look it up, folks. That's an exit strategy. Okay, so balance of power shifted again. 
Uh, it did. Well, you had the Catholic, the Catholic. <laughs> Back to the Catholics. Yeah, those Catholics. The Spanish Armada was an attempt by uh, the Spa- Spanish Empire to invade England. Elizabeth was queen in England, and she wasn't being cooperative. They didn't like that. Yeah. And, and worst of all, she was Protestant. Yeah. Man. Woman and Protestant. Oh, yeah. She'd already been charged by the Catholic Church. <laughs> and she's got power. Of, of being, you know, well, basically, she'd been excommunicated already. Uh, she was as evil as you could be in the eyes of Catholics, especially uh, Spain. And so they built up this massive navy. They're going to invade England. And, and well, in England, uh, when a wind blows the right direction, they still refer to it as a Protestant wind. Oh. They do. Yeah, I know. Oh, you old windbag. And, uh, of course, mo- <laughs> wait, his wind, there it is. That's what I was looking for. There's a seal that was printed up after the Spanish Armada wait, failed. Wait, not a, a seal like that you oh, seal a letter, right? Right, okay, right. I'm okay. sorry. And there were uh, medals and coins all struck that said, he blew with his winds and they were scattered. Oh. And the thing with he, the he Armada, God, right? right yeah. The Armada could not make headway into England because the winds were against them. And they had, yeah, they had the kind of ships that did not, uh, for you, for you sailing types, they couldn't tack. Uh, They couldn't go back and forth to move forward. And these giant galleons couldn't make the headway into England because of, well, the winds, the Protestant winds that were blowing against (laughs) them. They were pushing them back, pushing them back. And then the fire ships that the English had, didn't help matters much. <laughs> and so the Spanish, as they were trying to get to, to England and it was over, they knew it was over. They, they couldn't get back either. The winds then reversed course and kind of stuck them. Just no wind at all. Wind is fickle. Oh, <laughs> it's yeah. a fickle, we, we fickle certainly mistress. know that, don't we? And so they said, okay, well, we can sail. We can sail north. And their goal was to go around England and Scotland and then Ireland, Ireland yeah. and swing around and come around and go back to Spain that yeah, way. Yeah, well, the wind and the sea had a, a different uh, view when of they, that. Yeah, when they got off the western coast of Ireland, that's when they ran into a hurricane. hurricane. Yeah. So it's not enough we got a wind, now we got to have a hurricane. So we've lost half our ships. 24 <laughs> ships were driven ashore on the Irish coast. Many of the survivors then were just killed by Queen Elizabeth's troops because, you know. Some were not, though. There there are uh, – something I read said that there on the western coast of Ireland, you can find small villages where, where they, people have oddly darker hair than everybody else. And they hmm. think that was because of, you know, the Spanish – Some survivors. Well, some were Catholic. I mean – Yeah. And in Ireland, the Spanish would have been on friendlier ground because yeah, they would have been true. Catholics. Wow. Because, so, you know, in, Ireland was not great friends with England at this time because they were still Catholic and, and England being Protestant. Have in, they patched that up yet? In most of the place. There's a there's a few places. So the troubles still exist. <laughs> oh, I'm sure in a lot of people's minds, the troubles still exist. So Although to... the Irish troubles are not a religious problem. Okay, but that's a different show. That's a very different show. Yeah, let's let's not. That's a way different show. Oh, it's much weightier too. Yeah, it is kind of. Our Irish history is weird. A heavier topic. Okay, no, so then that so. so that mighty wind, that mighty Protestant wind, and but our again, hurricane. if the Spanish had succeeded, okay, if in fifteen eighty eight, okay, yeah, and they had conquered England, England would have become Catholic. This is a mere thirty two years before the Mayflower sailed. For the new world. 
And do you really think that they would have allowed a bunch of Protestants to hop on a boat and go start a new a new colony, a new life, new uh, city on a hill? Yeah. In this new continent, it would have changed everything. They probably would. The Catholics would have just done it differently. It would not have been the same. It just wouldn't have been the same. It would have made northern North America a Spanish colony versus a British colony. Yeah. Well, but it was inevitable what happened because it happened. So that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to say something's inevitable after it happens. Because that's what happened. <laughs> oh, it was happened. inevitable. It was bound to happen. The weather chose. No, <laughs> the weather doesn't choose. The weather chooses. No. That. Mm. Yeah. Well, it, each side always says it's God's problem. It's providence. a natural function. So it's it's hot and cold. We, we don't get away from weather because it's like it, it's part of the fabric of our existence. I it's mean, the fabric it's, of our lives. It's like everything. cotton. <laughs> wow. All right. That that brought up a whole lot of other thoughts too. Like well, like how much cotton is is a part of our lives? That's another topic as well. Oh, all right. Let's let's move from the Spanish Armada. As we so, all know, co- so, cotton is a racist fabric. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Um, it can't be any color. It can only be one. Um, How about the American Revolution? Well, yeah, because you said 32 years later, we're going to hop on some ships. And, well, that and was in 1620. Okay. so But, but okay. The, the Protestants won. The good guys won. <laughs> so the, the ones weather, who said so God was said. on their side and apparently were correct. Uh, I'm sure the Spanish were saying that, too. <laughs> well, you know how that works, too. The Spanish, I'm sure, afterwards went. Man, we, we we pissed off God somehow. Yeah, yeah. What did we do? And then each then they all start blaming their little subgroups within. Oh, the, sure. Yeah, of course. And eventually, I'm sure the Sp- at that time the Spanish probably would have then went. You know, you know who it was. It's all these. It's all these formerly Jewish Christians. These people who converted. They're not. Really they're not Christians. real. They don't really believe. <laughs> that's what happened. And right. I'd like to say that didn't happen in Spain, but uh. No, did. that's a that's human nature. I think that's just what part. part uh, the the argument within in their little groups and subgroups, you know, just to blame. Oh, okay. To lay blame. Oh yes, well, you got to you got to lay blame somewhere. You got to justify. Can't take responsibility. Yeah, got to justify and lay blame. All so, right, there we go. So the American Revolution. Fast forwarding from 1588, the Spanish Armada. Now we're all still properly Protestant, and we're going to come into the uh, colonies, and it's uh, time Woo! for American Revolution. Weirdly enough. Much like the Irish, the uh, colonists in the New World had a problem with Britain. God. It's weird, huh? Yeah. Well, anyway. they were in power, so, you know, there's always a problem with the power. Anyway, most people know the the results of the American Revolution. Most. Do you, Actually, I'd like to think that. But the shot heard around the world. I wonder how many people out there, out there don't even know about it. Like I don't know. Go to a college campus and, and interview people. It's always amusing when they do. Anyway, the American Revolution was a long struggle that almost ended the year it began. I mean, it came really close. Washington, we all, you know, Washington's praise. You can't. I hear there's a city named after him and, uh, and a state. <laughs> probably some statues. And some statues and probably a drink. There's probably bound to be a George Washington, right? Like there has to be a mixed drink called a George oh, Washington. Oh, probably over yeah. there on the East Coast somewhere where those Com- people comes do with whatever. A tiny whatever those people do over something. there. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um We're being Well, you can silly. you can wear his cologne. <gasps> you can. You can buy the yeah, George the Washington has- scent. Casey and by the way, it's, it's quite nice. It is a quite nice scent. George Washington smelled good, folks. It was a little expensive though. Well, 
Yes, I'm sure it was even then too. I'm sure he was a uh, he, he he smelled good though. The battle we always hear about Lexington Concord around Boston. The, you know everything started, and yeah, that's true. But after Boston was surrounded, basically Boston got a, a siege occurred around Boston, and the British had boats, and the Americans did the not. The British had boats. Yes, true. They had a we'll call them ships, but they were boats, <laughs> whatever, big boats. <laughs> Big bada boats. Anyway, um, they were able to get out of Boston because they looked at Boston as being an unsafe place to be, which was true because people in Boston hated the didn't, British. Didn't like the British. There was a history there. Yeah. Anyway, they then opted to say, well, you know what we need to do. We need to get a city with a port and a harbor and everything else bigger than Boston's. And when we have more Supporters, more yeah. loyalists. Yeah. And New York was what they settled on. And, Queens and Brooklyn, yeah. Washington was sent to New York to defend New York from the British. But Washington didn't have nearly as many troops as the British, and the British had, again, shipping. And so if you if you look at a map, and I, there's no way I can show you a map while I'm doing a podcast, but no, if you could look folks. down at a map, if you look at the coast where New York is, you starting at the coast, you've got New Jersey, then across the Hudson River from New Jersey is Manhattan. And across from Manhattan, the East River, on the other side of that, is Long Island, where Brooklyn is. And Anyway, so originally, Washington was on Long Island, and he was going to defend Long Island. And so the British have to go past Long Island to be able to get into the, the Hudson River and the East River. And they couldn't get far enough up the East River to get behind Washington. So when they attacked Long Island, the British, I mean. Yeah, they couldn't flank him. They couldn't flank him. They couldn't cut off his line of retreat. Okay. And it was because the wind. They had The British had been told that they would have fair winds. So mm-hmm. as they began trying to sail their ships up the East River to get behind Washington, they found that they couldn't go up the river. Ah. The wind just didn't allow it. Wasn't there a fog, too? That came later when uh, Washington was actually retreating. In the early morning hours. Yeah, and yeah. Washington would have been cut off right there. Washington was kind of cool in this retreat, though, by the way. He's, uh, he didn't win this battle by any stretch of the imagination. It was a headlong retreat. At one point, the Brits were chasing Washington's men uh, <laughs> with fox calls. Oh, wow. Like they were on a fox hunt. <laughs> it was, it's, it's crazy, nasty warfare. We're on a colonist hunt. Oh, yeah, because the Brits had ships that could bomb parts of where Washington's men were, but they couldn't get the ships up the river. Washington had people build fires mm-hmm. to make it look at night like there were still men camped out. And then he skedaddled his men across to Manhattan. Ah, clever. And by the time the British realized what had happened, for the most part, Washington had gotten his entire army he was out. out of danger. Yeah. The first time. <laughs> the first time. Then came Manhattan. Now he's on Manhattan. And he has the same problem. If the Brits can get their ships up the Hudson River behind him, he can't escape into New Jersey. You always need an exit plan. You got to have an exit plan. You got to have an exit plan. And so when the when the wind finally favored the Brits enough to be able to get their shipping up the Hudson River, they could have cut off Washington's line of retreat, but fog rolled in. So God was on his side. <sighs> Again, yes. Mm. And uh, General Howe of the British, if you look in history books, he is blamed consistently <laughs> for not pursuing Washington quicker after the first battle of uh, Long Island. Yeah, well, the people blaming him weren't over there dealing with it. Exactly. <laughs> they and, and didn't it's history. Know. You can yeah. look back and say, well, oh, here's, well, here's he what he should have done. 
shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah. Well. You know, but the British could strike anywhere. If you think about the American Revolution, the fact that we won is still just shocking. Yes. Because. But apparently weather helped us. Weather helped us immensely. Probably not as much as the French, but, <laughs> but they're going to have their own problems. We're going to head there. Yeah, we are going to head there. We're going to head there next. We may have, we may have screwed them up. But anyway, uh, Washington was able to get across the Hudson into New Jersey and then very quickly skedaddled into Pennsylvania. How many troops was he taking? Oh, I see. 19,000. Uh, Washington? Yeah. Yeah, but only, I've been doing some reading about it. He only had about 5,000 effectives. He had 19,000 men, but they were sick and they didn't have shoes oh, and a lot see. of them didn't have weapons. Okay, here in the British, 40,000. Yeah. 40,000. Yeah. They, the Americans were horribly Damn. outnumbered and Washington knew it. And they couldn't stand up to the British either. In a straight ahead fight, yeah. the British, for the most part, could overwhelm the Americans with not only experience, but Tra- with yeah, training, trained. just training. They've had some experience in, the, in and, the battlefield. But Washington was able to get into New Jersey. And the fun part is by then you got the Hessians, the German troops who the British hired, brought in. Washington gets into Pennsylvania and then fights a battle at Trenton in Trenton, New Jersey, and pulls back and the Hessians set up shop in Trenton. And then very shortly thereafter, mm. on a cold, cold day when no one, it was a Christmas Eve, in fact, oh. when no one thought anybody could be fighting, especially a bunch of soldiers with no shoes, wow. yeah. Washington gets boats together and sails across the uh, the Delaware River and his, attacks his Trenton, famous, yes. his famous attack at Trenton, and then was able to rout the Hessians, and it threw the British back on their heels. But those those that whole time of battle from New York to uh, crossing the Delaware and attacking the Hessians at Trenton, all of that guaranteed that the war would last much longer. And it was Washington's victory at Trenton when he attacked the Hessians that the French heard about and said, oh, hmm. maybe we can invest in this guy. Yeah. Because until he won a battle, they needed, yeah, he needed, they needed, he needed to, a win. He needed some cred. He needed a win. Yeah. And he got it. All right. It wasn't a big win because then they're going to go into winter quarters and freeze their tatas off. Yeah, well. Yeah, you know. Weather again. No weather. No weather. All right. You got to be prepared. And if you if you follow the American Revolution and read the letters of the from the generals back and forth, weather is in every correspondence. Weather is always that one factor. General weather. Yeah. Is in fact uh, uh, Benedict Arnold when he was still considered a great American general. He. uh, he referred to it several times as general weather. Yeah, it's the great equalizer. It's the equalizer. It, it changes absolutely everything. absolutely going to be a, a thing that's going to shift and cause, well, all sorts of problems. <laughs> all sorts of so problems. Let's move forward to the French Revolution. Yeah, the French Revolution, which in a way the American Revolution kind of caused, at least it caused the financial problem. France had all kinds of problems that were ancient and the resentment was building with regular folk. What? Yeah, but it didn't. No one would have. No one could have foreseen the events unfolding the way they did, except for weather helps propel things along. France already had a problem, and their problem. And I'm going to do this as quickly as I can because I could talk for hours about the French Revolution. We're not going to let him do that, people. Ah, I know it's a shame. I yeah, love this story. Yes. I like it. Anyway, <laughs> the the French had a system where you had nobles. They didn't pay taxes. You had the clergy, Catholics. Uh, they didn't pay taxes. They didn't pay. And then you had everybody else. They paid they taxes. They paid the taxes. And 
Well, they were getting a little tired of that deal, and they had no representation whatsoever. And all they had to do was look across the the ocean at the team they just supported, the Americans, who have set up a democratic government. And the French are like, wait a minute. (laughs) They're (laughs) brand new at this. And so they had all kinds of problems, and they had borrowed all the money they could possibly borrow. They they, they were overextended. Because of the French and Indian War, which yeah. came before the Revolution, and then the American Revolution completely drained their coffers. They could not borrow money anywhere in Europe, not even from the fuggers in the <laughs> Netherlands. The oh, fuggers. The fuggers. Wow. It's an We've important got family. fun words today. It's an important family. Look it up. Yep, telling you. The fuggers. The fuggers. All right. So what weather, what, what was our weather well, contributor everything here? was already bad. You had a lot of people really irritated and angry about the political situation. You mean there was unrest in the country? There was unrest, but nothing too bad. Especially it was, it was, in the cities. It was going to take something really big to push it over the top. With the economy in ruins and the people restless, it seems as if even the heavens are angry. Smiting France with the most bitterly cold winter in 90 years. If ever God intervened to make a situation worse, the summer of 1788 and the spring of 1789 is a moment when that happens. By the summer of 1788, you already have a burgeoning political crisis. And it's developing against the background of very serious food shortage. For the people of France in the 18th century, Flour is the essence of life itself. Bread, the measure of existence. Most ordinary people in France ate at least two pounds a day of bread. Bread was all important. Its price was immediately felt by everyone. If the price doubled, you were in big trouble. So in France, winter came along for two years, really. Mm-hmm. After, after huge uh, floods, then they had the coldest winter they'd ever had. At the moment, they were having the greatest financial crisis they had ever had. So unrest was not a... Unrest was across the country, but especially in Paris. Wheat just quadrupled, it quintupled, it became so expensive that a loaf of bread, uh, one loaf became a month's wages. A month. And, you know, the... uh, And people were eating, Get you heard that, two two pounds pounds a a day. That's a loaf and a half of bread a day. Per person. Per person. Well, maybe the kids didn't get quite so And normally when that happened, when they had a bad... Uh, weather thing or a bad harvest, they would borrow money. Yeah, but now buy they, wheat. Now they now can't. They can't even do that. You know, in the uh, they actually demanded the Americans pay them back for the money. You know, <laughs> and we just were like, mm, sorry, we don't have it. We got our own problems over here. In uh, in in college, I had to read the book German all. In fact, I ended up reading it twice. That was another French that revolution. That was another French later revolution. In the but it it just goes to prove how uh how the whole bread situation got so serious. In uh in the book, the baker in town was allowing families to go ahead and charge for the bread that you know that he would give them and he would take his payment in uh mm, sexual favors from the wives or the daughters or both from the family that's how he got his payback and and when the when they finally came to the end of their uh <laughs> their, the rope. T- their rope they uh took that man paraded him through town and cut his penis off in the town square Ooh, yeah yeah. yeah. So this is what happens to a baker. I was thinking beat takes, him. I was thinking beat him up. Well, I'm sure that occurred. <laughs> Smacked him around. It wasn't necessary once they took his implement of a uh, It is hunger 
that eventually drives people over the edge. And people began to hear about these parties at Versailles. Yeah. And in fact, Robespierre wrote of the fact that the parties, a, a day at Versailles ate what a thousand men wow. could eat in a day. That's how much food was going out at Versailles. You can imagine the waste. There would have been all so, kinds of yeah, waste. Yeah, and once people are hungry, you're they're already dissatisfied, and then you push it to to hunger too. You can't and feed your even children. even Marie Antoinette gets the whole thing about let them eat cake. She never said that. She didn't that's say that's that. a lie. Yeah, that's... What she said at one point towards well before it was it was already too late. But she was why can't they eat bread? She didn't understand <laughs> yeah, in her head she, well, that there wasn't bread. She wasn't out there. raised like no know, no. She like was a child when folk. she yeah, she she, she was And so, anyway, so. Without the bread, eventually food riots began to happen, and a group coalesced in Paris, led by the fishwives, mm-hmm. and they marched on Versailles. They literally grabbed carts, and their goal was to go to Versailles and raid their grain storehouses. Yeah, and take some food. And and it was led by women who were basically bringing their kids, saying, "Look, my kids are starving." Yeah, mothers can't let the that revolution. Go. The 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 because it happened over and over and yeah. over again in France, but it was led by women so often. And especially because of hunger, because of this horrible winter that yeah. didn't let up. A mother can't sit and watch her child starve. And they got what That's they a wanted. Hard thing. They, by by the time the they, they traveled the the fifteen miles to Versailles, uh, the next day there were like twenty thousand people there. And then they did the usual thing. They killed all the guards and put their heads on pikes. <laughs> oh, what you always <laughs> that do. old chestnut. Yes. So weather again. And took Louis back to Paris, where he became a. You know, a prisoner of the mob, and he would never go back to Versailles, never see Versailles again. That's because of weather. Weather. Weather yes. made that happen. If the weather had not gone bad, if the harvest had stayed good, well, they might have put up there's a good chance longer, they could yeah. have settled all of this and created a constitutional monarchy. But hunger wasn't meant caused to be. by weather said, uh uh-uh, uh, weather don't care. Weather don't care. <laughs> so there you go. Great cool. equalizer. Cool. All right. The we, great leave, equalizer. we leave the French Revolution and we move to. Let's to, get into the 1900s. The 1900s, exactly. And talk about a different. We talked about wind a lot here winter, wind, drought. But, but one of the things that we haven't talked about is, well, static electricity. What? Yes. Is that part of weather? I am sure all of you will be shocked to know that when weather happens, you can have electricity in the air. <laughs> I think somebody taught us all that. Yeah, some, some, I had a science teacher. I, I had a science that. teacher. Yeah, I learned that stuff. But uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about the Hindenburg for a second. Everybody, Hey, I saw that movie. I did too. 1975, George C. Scott. I was very young when I saw it. Uh, I, the image I have is him being blown backwards mm. when it goes off because he's trying to defuse the bomb. Yeah. There was no bomb. No, there uh, wasn't. Yeah, but you know, of all the disaster movies during the 70s, that was one that was actually based on factual events. I mean, so that yeah, was I they guess actually that's true. interspersed real footage with the, the right. movie. And so that was unusual but when you go at the and, time. Most people, if they know anything about the Hindenburg, everybody knows it blew up. But most people don't know. Everybody says, well, because they had hydrogen, stupid Germans putting hydrogen in a dirigible. They'd done that. They'd gotten away with yeah, that for a yeah. really, well, really, really long time. Well, they really thought that time. that was going to be our tra- our travel. It would have been. That. We could we could have right now dirigibles instead of planes. They were bigger. They they were spacious. They weren't luxurious. as fast. No, but they were luxurious. And who knows? I mean, of course, now we have a helium shortage. I don't. 
<laughs> I don't. I don't know that we could we actually could, make we that could work. Carry that off anymore? But yeah, hydrogen. You know, that's that's a good possibility. But the the big problem from what a lot of historians and scientists now say is not the he not the hydrogen. The hydrogen wasn't the problem. The problem was the actual canvas itself. Because when it moored, when it came into, I want to say land, but it, they, did, they didn't land, they moored hmm. on a big post, a big giant metal spike. <laughs> it, just a, a post and <laughs> a, they tied off to it? A big giant metal right. spike sticking up in the air. So that was their anchor. Right. And they would hook to it. The nose would hook to it. Okay. And they, uh, there are many reports of people seeing St. Elmo's fire. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which shippers have talked about that for years. And it's when everything kind of gets semi-electrified because the air is saturated with, well, happy little electrons, electrons all dance, dancing everywhere. And they believe now that a spark may have jumped from the mooring mast to the dirigible. Normally not a problem. But the problem was they had used a new coating for the Hindenburg that they hadn't really used before. Uh-huh. And uh, you're going to like this, I think. Um, the fabric contained both iron oxide, a conductor, uh-uh. and aluminum impregnated cellulose acetate butyrate. And you say, well, okay, what's that? What the what's hell that? is that? Well, it's used today primarily for propellant for the space shuttle oh. in their solid rocket boosters. <laughs> and they coated the, the canvas with that. <laughs> is that what they did to that, and that normally, circus tent? You need oxygen for that to combust. Well, there was plenty of oxygen. There was a lot of oxygen. Yes. And so they're looking more and more at that as possibly being the the problem. Uh, A witness on the field said he saw a glow. Uh, One witness said he saw a glow inside the Hindenburg before it exploded. Others say, no, that was was St. Elmo's fire, and that was the glowing that you saw. So it's hard yeah, to say. Yeah, eyewitness accounts. And when you watch the video, and would you believe there's actually a video of that thing? There is a video of that. That's, and it, that's why it's so emotional. It, it's starting to rain again. It, the rain had uh, cracked up a little bit. They packed motors of the ship, but just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from... It burst into flames. Get it started. Get it started. It's flashing. And it's flashing. It's flashing. Terrible. Oh, my, get out of the way, please. It's running, bursting into flames, and, and it's falling on the morning fast, and all the folks between us, this is terrible. This is the worst of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's, 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 it's like 20, oh, four or five hundred feet into the sky, and it, it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen, the smoke and the flames now, and the flame is rising to the ground, not quite to the morning mass. Oh, the humanity, and all the fans are just feeding around it. I told you... I can't even talk to people. His friends are out there. It's a, it's, it's a, oh, I, I can't talk, ladies and gentlemen. Honestly, it's just laying there, massive smoking wreckage. And everybody can't hardly breathe and talk and screaming. Lady, I, I, I'm sorry. Honestly, I, I can hardly breathe. I, I'm going to step inside while I cannot see it. Charlie, that's terrible. I, I can't. I, listen, folks, I, I'm going to have to stop for a minute because I've lost the voice. This is the worst thing I've ever witnessed. Can you imagine a news reporter today being that emotional? I think he was. The- he wasn't a reporter, though. Technically, he was there to test some stuff. I mean, he was a newspaper reporter who yeah, was testing this for yeah. air, you know. And he, I mean, yeah, he was wrecked. 
God, well, that's the appropriate response. It's what's amazing is the number of people that survived the Hindenburg. Oh, yeah, uh, only a third of the passengers died because well, they were close enough to the ground to to actually drop. Yeah, and some that jumped out as it was coming down got doused with the uh, ballast water. Well, and and when you were talking about that canvas that that brought, and I can't, I don't have a well, lot they, of information. They did it on MythBusters. But remember? It, no, it was the story. There was a circus tent. There was a huge circus fire. Hmm, that was one I, they had with a. They used kerosene and wax, yeah, to, paraffin to wax, coat the tent, and, and it caught on fire. So and that killed. I don't a ton know that I technically blame that on fi- on on weather. Well, the, the electricity though, yeah, there had to be a right. spark. And when be, Myth, yeah. MythBusters actually did the whole thing, they said the skin certainly helped the fire. Yeah, but there had to be something else as well, and a spark is the most likely culprit that may have punctured. The one of the airbags in the front, oh, the hydrogen bags that would have let out. And the, once the fire started, yeah. the combination of hydrogen, oxygen, and that iron oxide coating yeah. caused the fire to spread rapidly. And you watch the video, and I mean, it's fast. Yeah, it is quick. I mean, it's really quick. I I, I saw the movie at the theater like twice. It was, it was <laughs> stuff. I, I went to the movies flew. alone a lot as a kid. Did you? But all those disaster films, you know, it was uh, we were obsessed with that in the 70s. What's going to happen if a high rise catches on fire on the 50th floor? And know? of course, it, it, the the you know, Cruise ship disasters and what else? Oh, yeah, there were bunches of them in the 50s. Oh, several oh, yeah. airport. We had airport well, that 76 was in the 70s, yeah. and airport the 77. The movie Airplane makes fun of all of them. I know. Well, because <laughs> if, some, if some shit's going to go down, it's going to be at an airport. Bad stuff happens at airports, people. Is that how it works? Yes. Airports are like weird little worlds. Not Lake Charles Airport because that's regional and it's not like a whole nother planet. But you go to a big hub airport. Dallas, Fort Worth, the, right. you know, Chicago, yeah. Atlanta. Those places are scary. They are scary. So, right. so Hindenburg changed air travel and weather played a part because it was overcast, light rain. Mm. Uh, there wasn't lightning. They wouldn't have attempted to land in lightning. But that doesn't mean there's not electricity in those clouds. In the air, yeah. You know, so. Maybe they didn't know enough. They didn't have enough meteorological. Probably didn't have any kind of tools to measure you know, the potential electricity in the iron mast versus what was coming in. Yeah. Well, they just hadn't had those experiences yet. Well, they got it. Live and learn. Live and learn. Live and learn. Be prepared. You got to be prepared for That's weather. Right. All right. That's so we right. leave the Hindenburg. We're done with we, the uh, and we 1930s move some, and we're going to move into times the, for the world. The 1940s. Yeah. Uh, world War Two, and weather was really important. It wasn't as well. The weather was important itself. But the most important thing during World War II happened on D-Day, although I'm sure many battles. But uh, D-Day was, of course, June 6th, 1944. I still remember. And uh, you were a small child then. No, no, I was not alive then. I remember from. <laughs> Thank te- God. I remember from teaching. You'd be it. my great grandfather. Actually, we just had the anniversary. And that would be creepy. Um, June 6th wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't. Anyway, so D-Day was scheduled for June 5th originally. Did you know that? Were you aware? I did. I did some research. <laughs> oh, you. Well, anyway. Get to so it. D-Day, they thought the weather was going to trash it all, but... The decision to go ahead with D-Day relied on one man, and he wasn't a general or a politician. He was, in fact, a Met Office meteorologist, a weather forecaster. Group Captain James Stagg had the job of advising the American general, Dwight Eisenhower, when the conditions were good to go. 
the very outcome of World War II would depend on him getting it right. If Dwight Eisenhower didn't believe in his team of meteorologists, D-Day would have unfolded on the beaches of Normandy on June 5th, 1944. Many don't realize much of the success during D-Day came down to the weather forecast. Six meteorologists were given the task to figure out the optimal time for attack several months leading into D-Day. And at the time, satellite imagery, weather models, and most of what we use today to forecast was not available. At the time, most of the weather forecasts were considered to be a guess just 24 hours out. These meteorologists simply had their weather observations and intuition. On June 4th, an unusually deep area of low pressure tracked over Ireland and then across northern Scotland with strong winds and heavy rain. With years of planning and preparation to invade Normandy, the invasion would be postponed due to weather. This delay in the invasion allowed for clearing on June 6th, and while conditions still weren't perfect, there was a window of opportunity that they had to take in what was considered a very unsettled weather pattern at the time of the month. Delaying much beyond June 6th would have meant waiting for several more weeks, and by that time, the Germans may have realized an invasion was imminent. If meteorologists got the forecast wrong, the Allies might have lost tens of thousands of men, and World War II might have been lost forever. Well, I don't know if it would have been lost forever. I think it's a little hyperbole there. I don't blame Eisenhower for listening to a man named Stag. Right? Yeah. He said that several years later when when asked about the uh, Normandy invasion. He said, uh, because we had better meteorologists than the Germans. Yeah, the Germans did not think we would attempt a landing even on June 6th because it was still overcast and the waves were choppy. As uh, yeah, I've be. seen those videos. It's, and uh, uh, my my son told me about going to Normandy. I didn't get to go when we were in Europe, but he was talking about how at low tide, he went and saw the same area in, at low tide. And he said the distance, he said the distance they had to go on wet sand is staggering. He was blown away by it because yeah. they were under fire the entire time. Good Lord. Yeah, and it's a long way. Oh, that's right. He was over there with some other other men from his uh, Yeah, they, unit all, they went to, on a tour. Well, no, they didn't they go and put flags out for, yes. for Memorial Day? They did. They on went, the American, there was an American, there's an American yeah, cemetery at the, there. Yeah, uh, at a, a Omaha Beach. Yeah. Okay. And they put flag, They were putting flags on all the gravestones. Yeah, of, okay, I remember. Of, I remember of those men. Talking about but that. That day could have changed history drastically um, because, well, it's it, well, if we didn't land successfully on D-Day, then World War II would have lasted much longer in Europe. That would have been a horrible thing. And so horrible there you go. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been awful. And so there you go. Uh, weather again. Weather again. Okay. So is that weather not caring or is that weather caring? Well, I don't know. Again. It depends on who you are. Whose side? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whose house? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And speaking of World War II. In Europe, yep, we won. We know it. And, of course, we won in Japan as well. But Two theaters. Two, two theaters. And, of course, as we all know, we ended our relationship, our battle relationship with Japan yeah. by nuking a couple of their— Well, because well, we couldn't— atomic bombing a couple of their cities. We couldn't drag that one out. No, that would have lasted forever. Yeah, the invasion would yeah. have taken a while. We, we and there's care. arguments about that even now. Should Truman have dropped the bomb? And, well, it uh, doesn't matter. It's what happened. It's what happened. And, you know, it brought the war to an end quickly. Yeah, it did. But and, at what cost? Well, but then we had the bomb. And so, of course, we had to test it. That's always the fun part. You got to test Why these things. Why do you things. have to test it? Just, well, just hope that it works and so, try it. Because you got to make sure they work. <laughs> and so we started testing at this little place out in the Pacific called uh, Bikini Atoll. Yes. And 
the largest test the Americans have ever carried out was what's known as the Castle Bravo test. And it was supposed to put out some radiation, <laughs> some radiation. We all know that some's not bad for you. Yeah. Some radiation's perfectly. What's all the right. measure of some? <laughs> well, you know, um, so anyway, we were testing in the Pacific and one of the fun things is we depended on the weathermen to decide where we could safely, you know, set off these tests. Because meteorologists are known to be. They're always right. right. Everybody knows it. And, you know, you keep acting like weathermen don't know. Ben Terry knows. <laughs> ben Terry does know. Terry um, let me see. Did I? Oh, I think I lost. Oh, there it is. So just just so you know, uh, the Castle Bravo test was supposed to be six megatons. But it, they talk about it here. Unforeseen additional reaction increased that to two and a half times. Two and a half times six tons? Yes. Six uh, megatons. Oh, oh. Okay. In other words, it was a much bigger bomb. It was much bigger. Than it was intended to be. And get this. The wind that was supposed to blow in one direction. Oh. Turned around and blew was in another. Is that a Protestant wind or a Catholic wind? Well, in this case, it was a Pacific wind. <laughs> the problem this time is especially acute because this entire area of the Pacific is subject to radiological fallout. And this area is inhabited by some 20,000 people. The meteorologists had predicted a wind condition which should have carried the fallout to the north of the group of small atolls lying to the east of Bikini. The wind failed to follow the predictions, but shifted south of that line, and the little islands of Rongelaf, Rongerik, and Uteric were in the edge of the path of the fallout. The task force commander promptly evacuated all the people from these islands. They were taken to the island of Kwajalein, where we maintain a naval establishment, and they're placed under continuous and competent medical supervision. I visited them there last week. Today, a full month after the event, the medical staff on Kwajalein have advised us that they anticipate no illness, barring, of course, diseases which may be hereafter contracted. The 236 natives appeared to me to be well and happy. The survey aircraft carefully searched the area and reported no shipping. A Japanese fishing trawler appears to have been missed by the search, but based on a statement attributed to her skipper, to the effect that he saw the flash of the explosion and heard the concussion six minutes later, it must have been well within the danger area. At the time of the explosion, the tuna ship had been sailing far outside the designated safe area of a 75-mile radius. Three hours after the H-bomb had been detonated, a downpour of radioactive ash descended on the fortunate dragon and its crew of 23. None of them knew the nature of the deadly snow. It was three days more before the ship and its contaminated crew and fishing catch sailed into port. By that time, the men suffered from the beginning symptoms of deadly radiation poisoning. By the time their illnesses had been properly diagnosed, the hot fish brought back in their holes had been sold into markets all over Japan. So, yeah, all that fish from their boat. Now, when they, they didn't know what it was, the ship, the Lucky Dragon. <laughs> yeah, the Lucky <laughs> like that? Dragon. Yeah. Actually, I like it. Daigo Fakaru. <laughs> <laughs> it I'm sounds sure better. you mispronounced that. <laughs> Fukuryu. Well, you know, Anyhow. I think it's probably correctly named. So that fish um, got the, sold. And they, the, they the guys on that it. boat, they all 
got sick, horribly sick. Yeah, but the 236 people who who had constant incompetent care on the island, they didn't have any well, problems. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say that they were outside of the range, right? Because we knew so much about the range. But here's the thing: after uh, they were evacuated 48 hours after being exposed, <laughs> the Atomic Energy Commission deemed Ranjalap the island safe to return and allowed the inhabitants to move back to the island. Wow. Upon their return, they discovered that all of the foods that they ate, arrowroot, fish, everything was uh, contaminated. Everything got them sick. Eventually 15 islands and atolls were contaminated in total. Uh, by 1963, natives began to suffer from thyroid tumors. Well, their babies were 20 not, of 29 yeah. children had tumors, birth defects were reported nearly 100% of the people who were exposed, but America made good in 1995 (laughs) by giving them $43 million. Oh, for the families that were left with the cancers and tumors and yeah. And, and and of course, you know, you would think we'd learned, you know, but Mm. yeah, we, well, you have to test things. Well, I mean, First of all, if you're going to be doing a test, it's best to do it in a place where you don't have your own people, clearly. Well, they, they weren't <laughs> our people, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was okay, so, right? So it's not going to affect Another us. Another byproduct of the stupendous mid-Pacific blast unfolds in San Francisco, where tuna fish, supposedly made radioactive during the tests, are scrutinized by federal agents armed with Geiger counters for signs of contamination. Hot tea, anyone? That's not an invitation. It's a problem brewed for the Coast Guard and Customs by the arrival in Brooklyn of a cargo of Japanese tea slightly radioactive. Final conclusion, the tea's radioactivity is within safety limits. Not too hot to handle. <laughs> so again, what's the that was That was a video that was put out by the Atomic Energy Commission to make people feel safe, to know that sure. even though they had eaten radioactive fish and drank radioactive tea and God knows what else, they, they were going to be fine. And and if we have a bomb, crawl under your desk. and Basically, if you drank okay. that tea, you would have been exposed to the equivalent of like 100 x-rays. Uh, all at once. Yeah. yeah. But <laughs> so, it's safe levels. Safe so levels. it's safe. It's you know, perfectly safe. It's just, these are learning, learning levels. This was all because of... The wind failed to cooperate. Yes, it did. Like go how he north. put that. He said it was going to go north. Yeah, it failed to cooperate. You're corralling cats here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to send them in the direction you well, want. Well, you know, they didn't have all these fancy satellites and stuff back then. They couldn't predict wind. Oh, yeah. Well, we have so much more control over the weather now. Well, luckily, though. So much more. You know, Luckily, again, those were in the Pacific. Yes. It was just some, you know, just people that lived on islands and their just, happy little paradise that never like could us. go back ever, ever yeah, again. we won't see them anymore. And, you know, then they're going to have birth defects for the rest of their lives and their families and might their have birth families defects genetically and, yeah. and stuff. But luckily, luckily, that would never happen in the United States when we were doing testing and say, well, I don't know, driving New Mexico. Los Angeles to Salt Lake City on U.S. Highway 91, You'd pass through St. George, Utah, just a short way from the Nevada test site, 140 miles to the west. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this program to bring you important news. Word has just been received from the Atomic Energy Commission that due to a change in wind direction, the residue from this morning's atomic detonation is drifting in the direction of St. George. It is suggested that everyone remain indoors for one hour 
or until further notice. There is no danger. This is simply routine Atomic Energy Commission safety procedure. Parents need not be alarmed about children at school. No recesses outdoors will be permitted. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. We're not going outside. Don't worry. Uh, By the way, that's not true. The kids did have recesses. And you can go, and, actually, and there's a site called... You're going to stay in for an hour? I, you know, There's a site called miles. Atomic Heritage where you can go actually look up the uh, that blast the they're talking about. That day, Get yes. this. It was called the Dirty Harry Shot. Part of Operation Upshot Knothole. Wow. Who writes these? <laughs> Don't ask me, man. Uh, not only that, but the bomb itself was full, a full 20 kilotons above the advisable yield level to limit radiation exposure. And I'm going to read this exactly. The wind failed to cooperate. (laughs) Once again. It's the same phrase. Well, history has taught us that the wind is not going to cooperate. (laughs) And it blew uh, radioactive fallout towards the town town of St. George, especially. This Geiger counters in the center of St. George experienced radiation spikes of 350 millirentgens. Fully maxing out the counters. Oh, Lord. Uh, Very few citizens were actually told to take shelter unless they happened to be listening at that moment. Ah. And witnesses claim that children were still playing at morning recess a full hour after the radiation had already settled. So I'm sure they've studied. So they were breathing uh, in the dust and everything else. I'm sure they've studied that that group of citizens and their children. They have, and they've all been sick. Of course they have. It's crazy, the cancer rates. Three Mile Island, all of these tests, Chernobyl. There's one. Funny thing going on. There was a movie being shot, (laughs) being shot in Nevada at the same time that this was happening in, in, well, or just, just after the, the, the test happened called the conqueror. This is a John Wayne movie where of course he plays a Mongol Genghis Khan. Oh, I remember that. Oh yeah. 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 It's a horrible movie. It's a terrible movie. Anyway, almost all of the outdoor scenes, this is three years later, were shot near St. George. And the town had been heavily radiated because yeah, of this test. Yeah, and it doesn't go away in an hour. No, people, people still live there. <laughs> uh, anyway, the film crew spent several weeks at the site, a year after Dirty Harry had been detonated less than 100 miles away. Wow. Okay. Well, no, 140 was the designated safe zone, though. 140 miles, and they were Not for a bomb okay. this size. This is, this is way larger than the one at Bikini Atoll, and the, radi- the, the radi- radius for that was 2,000 miles. Oh, my God. So... Anyway, 91 of the 220 cast and crew developed cancer by 1980. Mm-hmm. 46 had died, most notably John Wayne in 1979, who died. Uh, a scientist from the Pentagon Defense Nuclear Agency even famously declared upon hearing rumors that Wayne had died due to cancer from radiation. Oh, please, God, don't let us have killed John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he was worried about. Wow. Oh, my God. I think we killed John I, Wayne. I'll go down feeling guilty about that. That's terrible. <laughs> so anyway, but we, we conducted bunches of these tests, not to mention the test where we marched soldiers right into right. an area. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen the videos where they're off offshore, though. They're on their ships. They're in their underwear yeah. and crap. Or when they're in those the uh, deck trenches, and they set off the bomb. Boom. Yeah. And they say, don't breathe in the dust. <laughs> and you see every guy stick his head up and dust just hits him right in the face. Yeah, don't breathe that in. And then these men come home. And we wonder and they why have cancer children. rates shot up oh, yeah. in the 60s and 70s. I didn't wonder. I well, you didn't know knew. about the relationship, though. That came later. You well, know? yeah, but you kind of recognize that. I mean, as a kid, we were watching those those documentaries and those films, those 1950s films they showed us in school oh, yeah. and, and we, propaganda crap. Duck, 
And cover. Uh, I, I show that to students all the time. I still do, too. Yeah. It's absolutely worth watching. All right. So we need to, to wrap it up here. Yeah, look at this. The weather is, is just but well, we, we haven't, ubiquitous. We haven't said that word yet. No, we haven't. We've been saving it for last. Well, actually, it's our most recent. It's the haboob. I know we've dragged you guys through a whole lot of stuff. I know. There are a lot of places this is, this is you can take long. breaks on this podcast. You know, you can stop at the French Revolution. Sure. Take a break. Come sure. back. Because I know it's a lot to. You can still pause and come back. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a perfect storm of weather. <laughs> Let's do this real quick. The haboob. The haboob. You might have been asking yourself, haboob, since what the video. What the hell is a haboob? What's a haboob? And no, it's not. It's. it's it's not when you put a smiley face on a, on a breast with the nipple as the nose. That's not a haboob. It's a haboob. All right. Long in the boob. <laughs> yeah, you like that? <laughs> I like that. I hope, hopefully I turned off those captions so it doesn't continue saying long in the boob. But let me just say this. They're saying right now women need to stop. They, they say women want to go without bras. If you do that long enough, when you're really old, yeah. you will be long in the yes, boob. Yes. Okay. That was my joke, folks. Not his. So. You can't blame him as a as a male chauvinist, you know, misogynistic man. Hey, man. All right. Get to the haboob. All right. So the Iran hostage rescue mm. failure. Yeah, it's an Arabic word. It's the Desert One rescue attempt. In 1980, in April of 1980, Jimmy Carter, uh, President Jimmy Carter, was in an election year yes, against was. Ronald Reagan. And in in April, he sent the Army's Delta Force, brand new, brand new, new created Delta Force, into Iran in order to rescue the 53 American citizens who were being held hostage. Yeah, our, our embassy uh, employees. Right. And we lived through this. The idea was they would all land in this spot in the desert and then fly into Tehran, get the hostages, and get out. That was the plan. And then everybody was going to elect Jimmy Carter back into office because he was a hero. Well, the fact is, in this case, the weather. The haboob. If if this if this rescue had been successful, Jimmy Carter would have probably won the election. Sure, he would have been a hero. He probably saved our so. he saved our citizens. We don't know for sure. America but was really invested chance. in in this this whole ordeal. It was a horrible time yeah. that I remember very well. Me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Ronald Reagan was already saying when he became president, he's going to war with Iran if he didn't get those Ajahs back. So kind of knew where this yeah, was all we going. Knew where it was going to hit. Anyway, we woke up. Uh, we woke up. Uh, one morning and started hearing about this rescue attempt. And I'm just going to play a little piece of this. It's actually way too long, but I'm just going to, so you can hear what we heard uh, when the president talked to the American people. Late yesterday, I canceled a carefully planned operation, which was underway in Iran to position our rescue team for a later withdrawal of American hostages who've been held captive there since November 4th. Equipment failure in the rescue helicopters made it necessary to end the mission. As our team was withdrawing after my order to do so, two of our American aircraft collided on the ground following a refueling operation in a remote desert location in Iran. Other information about this rescue mission will be made available to the American people when it is appropriate to do so. So the rescue attempt went horribly wrong, but he didn't talk. He talked about equipment failure, but he doesn't explain what the equipment failure, why, and the weather had everything to do with this. And it has to do with the haboob, which is a, basically a wall of dust. Yeah. Not sand. Not sand. It's not a sandstorm. It's a dust storm. 
But this dust is especially weird because it doesn't settle. And these winds, and these are winds again in the desert, rise up these ridges and raise all this dust up so it's just opaque. You can't see through it. It just holds it in the air. It suspends the particles. And when you read the the testimony of the men involved with this rescue attempt where eight Americans died, they all talk about the dust coming to the site. The site was clear. So the guys on the ground Thought it was at the okay. site were saying, no, come on in. It's clear. There's no fog. There's no nothing. And this guy can't find the site because he's basically surrounded by this floating dust. And like he said... I knew in my head that this dust was getting in the engines as well. And the texture of the dust is described as talcum powder. So think about it as like baby powder. Yeah. So on this mission, God wasn't on our side. Absolutely not. Uh, I, I told a Khomeini said that obviously that God was on their side. <laughs> on their side. Because God, you know, <laughs> to takes hold, to God, hold our God takes hostages. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then every time they started engines, they created more of this dust in the air. Yeah, it just pulled it Combined in. with this haboob. But anyway, so anytime you have a dust storm in the Middle East, except in Egypt for some reason, they refer to it as the haboob. All righty. So there, how many times did we say haboob? I don't know. Did Five? you count? No, I did not. Oh, okay. But we said we were going to say it several times. Oh, so I think more you than should, two. I think you should say it at least twice. Haboob, haboob. There you go. Haboob, haboob to you. Yeah. It does sound almost like a greeting, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Oh, all right. Hmm. Anyway, so, <laughs> so that's, that's how weather changed that. Impossibly changed the American election of 1980. Yeah, it's quite possible. Gotten Jimmy Carter for four more years. Failing guaranteed he was going to lose. But instead, we got Ronald Reagan, which mm-hmm. uh, I I would say was a positive thing. Eight years of of the Reagan. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, and set a precedent. We elected a, a former uh, Hollywood entertainer. It shifted. It shifted the government to, it, to a more yeah. conservative go- government yeah. overall. Well, and some people would agree with that, and some people would not. Yeah, and so there you go. That was the haboob. And there are many, many other so events. many events. and all of them interesting. So weather is ubiquitous. It's part of the the. Well, it's part of what we live with every Luckily, day. Luckily, here in the boot, we don't have to deal with no, weather problems. No, we don't have weather issues here. It's it's perfect all the time. No weather like, ever. Like California, you know, perfect yeah, weather. Perfect Always. weather. Always. Sure. Mudslides. <laughs> earthquake. Our mud doesn't slide. Actually, they it just, just lays. They did just have an earthquake recently. Uh, That's not weather, though. I, it's That's all geologic. Yeah, uh, it's still part of the mm, planet. No, got to the... disagree. It's yeah, not weather. All right. Just not. Not. No. Fire's not part of the elements. Well, fire's caused by weather. That's one thing. Yeah, but yeah. earthquake's not caused by weather that we know of. Well, so what you're I saying I mean, a geologic is, event you're saying can we change don't the know weather. A lot. Like when a volcano goes off, it actually changes the weather. Oh, yeah, locally. actually, several of those events we talked about today, there had been volcanic eruptions. Right, the like the year without the year without summer that we uh, yeah. already referred to. Uh, in a previous podcast. You did. You talked about that because that was really interesting and that was a, a world changing event. By the as way, well. if you haven't heard that episode, you should go listen to it. It will change your life. Okay. Probably not change your life. I will say what is changing my life, though, is the fact that we have had like four feet of rain since January in, in this state and we're right. like 16 inches over our normal already. And I need to, I need to mow. I need to mow. Wind don't care. No. Weather don't care. Rain don't care. Rain don't care. My yard is a marsh. I know I live in... Mother Nature don't give a front. (laughs) It gives us lots of fronts. That's the problem. (laughs) Lots of them. 
All uh, right. Well, there you go. Man, this is kind of long. This went longer than I thought it this, would. This did. Well, you know, like I said, you can break this one up, folks. You can. You, you can. We, we had nine events. Plague, Spanish Armada, American Revolution, French Revolution. Just full of Maybe stuff. Maybe stop right there. You can decide. Yeah, you Look, decide. Look, when, when this thing is completely done, it'll be about an hour and 20 minutes. I suggest cutting it up. There you go. Like an elephant. Sure. Just one bite at a one time. One bite at a time. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, there you go. Haboob. Haboob. Haboob to you. <laughs> haboob to you. And haboob to everyone. And, and everyone, a merry haboob. That is sad. <laughs> All right. So, again, uh, longintheboot at gmail.com, www.longintheboot.com, uh, 337 502 9011. You know what to do. Contact us. Talk to us. Let us know what you'd like to hear. Well, well you know, anything at all. Doesn't matter. So, there you go. Well, that's it, Deb. I guess we're going to wrap it up. I guess we're going to wrap it up, Glenn. Well, say goodbye, Deb. Uh, Goodbye, Deb. Perfect.